0: And so, I don't know if this is too loud. There's no IT people here tonight to run soundboards, so you're stuck with me. So all that reverb echo thing you were getting into over there like you were at a rock concert back in the 60s, you know, that's just the way it is. So I have no idea how to fix it. Don came over and said, man, there's something going on over here. I said, yeah, I know it. <laughs> I was having flashbacks before it was over. I, I don't know if this is a sermon or if it's a history lesson. I can't really tell. And now, you know, Christmas came at a certain time. And this is the prophet's candle. And so there's prophecy related to the coming of Jesus Christ and coming as a child. And it's very important. And we read one of the passages. But it's almost like if you don't know the backstory. Um, and probably all these Christmases, maybe some of you have never really heard the backstory. So I want to go through a few verses and kind of tell the story, not read it. I'll have the verses up here so you can kind of read it while I'm talking so we can get through it quicker because I don't want to bore you with a lot of details. But the details are kind of exciting. At least I like them. So are you with me? we good? Okay. So let's go on to the first picture. Oh, we'll look, a map. So we have Judah in the south, and we have Israel, which is the northern ten tribes, because they split right after Solomon, you remember. Uh, there's a little group of Simeon down there buried in about where that U is in Judah. Simeon and Judah are kind of hanging out together. So the northern ten are up there in that section called Israel. And if you go right above the A along, you see the little blue thing. That's the Sea of Galilee, and that whole finger that kind of reaches up toward Amram. And this map is somewhat adjusted, but basically from there all the way to the Mediterranean Sea, that's where Zebulun and Naphtali are that we read about. Oh, we didn't read about it because that's in verse 1, but we're going to get there. Okay. And in that Amram thing, that's where a country called Syria is. Not us, Syria, but Syria. Syria is a little smaller group of people. And so this whole story starts off with, in Isaiah's day, this is what the landscape looked like. And there was a king in uh, Judah. So let's go to the first verse there. I think it's in, uh, what is it? Oh, wait, another map. Just, just to clue you in, because these are the players, the four nations. You see right there the little yellow spot where it says Judah kind of in the middle? Well, all that green stuff is Assyria. That's what Nebuchadnezzar kind of took over and eventually became that whole Babylonian thing. So they conquered a lot of turf. But Ahaz, the king Ahaz and Isaiah, they're before this uh, country of Assyria Kind of took over that region. So it looks more like the first map. All right, so those are the four countries Judah, Israel, the northern ten, otherwise known as Ephraim, sometimes known as Samaria, okay, sometimes known as the other guy, Ephraim's brother, Manasseh. So that, that is like, and then there's Syria and then Assyria, and Assyria is the biggest one. Okay, now we have a Bible verse. And this is uh, 2 Kings 16. And it gives us a little story about King Ahaz, because you have to know who King Ahaz was. You have to know what he was doing and what he was thinking, so that when Isaiah came up to him and said, and his name shall be called, that we have an idea why that all took place. And if you haven't learned it until now, then you've really been missing out on Christmas because this is powerful stuff. So Pekah, the son of Remaliah, he's the guy up north in Israel, the ten tribes. Ahaz, he's king of Judah in the south. And Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he only reigned for 16 years because he was a loser. He was a very sinful man. He did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, or what was what is, like his father David did, his great grandfather, anyway. So we'll go on to the next verse, three. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. So Judah, the king of Judah, who's down south, is behaving like the pagan kings up north. Because Israel, Ahab and Jezebel, those kind of people, you, you remember all of them? There's a whole bunch of those kings up there in Israel. They're just filthy with pagan gods and deities and things. So here's Ahaz, the king of Judah. Now, how long is David's greater son supposed to rule on the throne? Do you remember? Forever. God made David a promise. Ahaz, king of Judah, David's greater, or not greater, but a great-grandson, is in the seed line to Messiah. Right? So when king of Judah starts worshiping pagan deities, you put the seed line at risk. And so he's not following David's program of faith and humility and confession of sin. He's following pagan deities. How so? Well, he sacrificed all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Made his son pass through the fire. Is was like walking on a bed of hot coals? No. You read Second uh, Chronicles 28 which is a parallel passage. It says that basically they offered him up as a human sacrifice to Moloch. The god in the valley of Hinnon. So you got Mount of Olives, Valley of Hinnon. Moloch, pagan god. Big brass arms, big fire. Toss them up there. Sizzle. Baby killer. That's what we got. Temple. Eastern gate. Solomon. Isn't that weird? Mount of Olives. Moloch in the valley. Eastern gate. And we got the Jews in Judah doing human sacrifice, Christmas time. That's pretty sinful, pretty bad. How is it any different than what's going on in our dark world when people will sacrifice their children for personal pleasure, gain, profit, whatever? I know that's rather insensitive to talk about abortion that way but there's probably people in this room who have participated in those things. And it's sad, and it's hard. I get it. But there's forgiveness with Christ Jesus for all kinds of problems. There really is. Whatever the sin might be. But our nation right now, you've seen uh, the sound of freedom? Island full of children. What are they doing? They might as well have been killing children. I mean, it's the same darkness, and it's still alive on planet earth. It's dark. It's very dark. Now, let's go on. Next verse. This guy, uh, Rezin, who is the king of Syria, he wants to uh, get together with, what's his name there? Pekah, the king of Israel, and he want to go to war with Ahaz. And uh, <clears throat> so they they get together, and they go down there, and they fight against them. And uh, they capture some of it, part of it, a few towns. on to verse 7. And uh, Ahaz, he gets kind of tired of this attack by these guys, so he writes a letter to Tiglath-Pileser up north in Assyria, the really big green country. It says, look, I'll give you all the gold out of the temple and out of the, the, the king's house here, the treasury. You just come down and rescue me. So Tigbath, Tiglath-Pileser, he does that. He comes down, and he goes to fight against them. Let's go on to number eight. <clears throat> Ahaz took all the gold, and the king of Syria heeded what he said and says, okay, I'll come down. He did, and they fought, and he won. He took care of Damascus. He took care of Rezin and wiped him out. He's no longer. He's gone. He's history. Now, this comes up in Isaiah chapter 7. We're going to go over it in a minute. This, this very incident right here is described. So let's go on to number 10. Now, King Ahaz went to Damascus because he really liked Tiglath-Pileser. Besides, he's a subservient kind of a guy now. He has to go and do his little worshiping with the king up there because he is now a vassal state, if you want to call it that, of Assyria. That's why Judah is still in the middle of the big map with the big green thing. They're still there. But when Nebuchadnezzar comes along, they're gone. That's, they go away. But during Assyria's reign, Judah remained a nation. Why? Because God is still trying to preserve the seed line of Christ. How hard was that? Very hard when you have a king who's trying to kill his own children. You see? It's very hard. You know what his son's name was? Ahaz's son, Hezekiah who led a revival in in Judah shortly after his dad died at age 36. Anyway, King Ahaz, he went up to uh, Damascus, and he saw an altar up there. He says, ooh, this is cool. So let's go on to number 11. So he wrote a letter to Uriah the priest, and he says, hey, build me one of these. So he did. So when the king came back from Damascus, he saw what Urijah the high priest, had built. He said, man, this is cool. This is good stuff. So 13. <clears throat> so King Ahaz is now acting like high priest. He's doing the offerings and doing the burnings and all that. He took the bronze altar, which was before the Lord, and he just kicked that off to the side. Solomon's temple. Next one, Mandy. King Ahaz commanded, said, do this, do this, do this, do it, do it, do it. And this bronze altar, the last sentence there, shall be for me to inquire. He's now set himself up to be the oracle. He is going before the gods and he's getting the information direct to all paganism. So you to the priest man, hey, we'll just follow the new God's commands here. King Ahaz is now to be worshipped, so we'll just do everything he says. And so they did. Well, they cut up the carts, the panels, they moved the laver, the big sea that Solomon had built on all those oxen, shoved it aside. So now the, the uh, altar and the laver in front of Solomon's temple are gone. And what's sitting there is a great big pagan altar to Moloch or whoever, and they're offering up children on a regular basis, Judah. <clears throat> What's the next one? Yeah, he moved some more furniture around. 19, Ahaz. The rest of his acts are in the book of Chronicles, basically uh, 2 Chronicles 28. And the, is there another verse? <clears throat> yeah, Hezekiah was his son. So that's part of the backstory. Sound interesting? Sound dark? I think it's important to know, well, why? Mainly because the world is still dark. And these people needed some hope. And that's what this whole candle about is about today. It's about the hope of the prophecies being fulfilled. These were dark days for uh, Judah, dark days for the northern ten tribes. They had so far removed themselves from the God of creation. It's just—it's very sad. Uh, what's the next passage, Mandy? <clears throat> okay, chapter seven of Isaiah. He says, uh, "Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, son of, you know, the king of Judah, Rezin and Syria, these two guys—they came up against Israel and they wanted to fight, take over Jerusalem, but they couldn't do it. They could not prevail." Oddly enough, it was told to the house of David, which is King Ahaz's group. Uh, Syria's coming to Hafia, and they're bringing Ephraim with them, northern 10. So his heart and the people's heart, they all melt. They were like trees in the wind. They were just shaking. <laughs> the enemies are coming. So, four. Go on to the next one, Manny. And say to him, say to Ahaz, take a reed and be quiet, or take heed and be quiet. I don't know what that would be like, take a reed and be quiet, put that in your teeth and bite it maybe. (laughs) Not a bad idea, you know. Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted, for these two stubs of smoking firebrand, they're not going to make it. Uh, Syria and Ephraim, the son of Ramaliah, they plotted evil against you, saying, Let us go up to Judah, let's take it over, Let's, and we'll put our own son in charge up there. We'll, we'll make it so Jerusalem is ours. We'll appoint our own leader. And thus says the Lord God, It's not going to happen. Hey, Ahaz, it's not going to happen. These two shall not stand. It shall not come to pass. Trust me. Just take it easy. Yeah, it's the dark world out there. They have nothing on you. They're not going to touch Jerusalem. They're not going to touch the seed line of Messiah. All Ahaz had to do was trust God. Same message today, isn't it? At Christmas time, all we have to do is trust God. Verse 8. They had Syria, Damascus. That of Damascus, resin, And within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken so that it will not be a people. There's a prophecy that the northern ten tribes are going away. Right there. Isaiah warned Ahaz. This is happening. Both resin and Pekah, both of these kings, Gentile and Jewish, are going to be eliminated within the next few years. Where are we, Levin? <coughs> Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord God. Ask it from the depth or the height. Whatever. Ahaz, Isaiah's talking to me. just, just ask God for a sign. And Ahaz, he got all spiritual. He says, uh, I will not ask, nor will I tempt the Lord. I mean, that's what it sounds like. But I think it's really more like, I don't need God in my life. And I am, I'm not asking him for anything one way or another. And it, it's a little bit more obvious from the next things that uh, Isaiah says to him. So, But he says, now listen up here, house of David. So this is bigger than you, Ahaz. This has to do with the entire house of, of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? Are you going to weary God too? And see, his response is a little bit more angry and in, in his face. So what Ahaz was saying is, I'm not going to test the Lord. He's basically saying, I don't have time to test this guy. I don't care what God does. I have my own thing I'm working on. I don't think he had that whole temple set up yet, the way it was coming. At this point, he just has these two kings attacking him, and he's at a point, he's at a crossroad where he could decide to follow the God of heaven and earth with his whole heart, or he could decide to follow himself. That's where he is. And that's where Isaiah comes up to him and lays out the challenge. This is your time. This is your last call. You have a moment in time where you get to ask God. You have a moment in time where you have an ask God. And he says, I don't need it. I don't need him. So the next verse. Therefore, the Lord will show you a sign, baby killer. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Emmanuel. El being God, Emmanuel has to do with God being with us. Curds and honey he shall eat. And he may know to refuse good and evil and to choose good. 16. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose good. The land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. They will both be gone before this child is very old. Now, in an immediate fulfillment of this passage, we, we tend to believe is in chapter 8, and it has to do with Isaiah's second son, whose name was really short and easy to throw around the schoolyard. It was Meher Shallow hash you know, I think they call him Meher for short, or so, I don't know. But it meant that the booty is swift. In other words, his son was named prophetically that this is going to happen and these two are going to be wiped out really fast. And so there's an immediate prophecy, but yet the prophecy doesn't fit Isaiah's second child because the word for virgin in the text is a young woman that's never been married, had that whole thing going on, you know what I'm saying? And so it's a true Virgin like Mary, who had baby Jesus, becoming of uh, great with child, as the Scripture says. So that passage was not quite fulfilled. Toward the end of chapter 8, it says this, To the law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. So he's calling Israel, both the north and Judah in the south, back to the book. But if they don't speak according to what Isaiah is saying, then there's no light in them. How many times did Jesus tell that to the Pharisees? In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if the light that you have is darkness, how great is the darkness? In other words, if you think what you know is right and it's not, You live in the darkest of worlds, and you don't even know it. That's the point. And that's kind of what he's saying here. You go on to 21, finish this up real quick. They will pass through hard, pressed, and hungry, and it shall happen. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king, whoever you'll be at that time, and their God, and look upward. Doesn't that sound funny? They're going to curse God and look upward. Well, it's pretty easy. How high did they look? Next verse. They will look to the earth. That's it. Their up includes here, here and now, the earth. They're taking what they can get, and they're running. That's all they have. Ahaz, with the pagan system he set up in the near future, with this false temple, he's only looking to the gods of this world. And so many people, and even today, all they have are the gods of this world. They have no Christ child in their life. And they will be driven into deep darkness. Well, oddly enough, the next we're going on to chapter 9 now that we're looking at for today. But the darkness, the northern ten were annihilated. They were scattered around the earth. Gentiles were shipped in, and they were covered with multiple mixed marriages and such, so much so that in Jesus' day, the Samaritans were the untouchables. They just weren't good people. So, and then shortly after that, in 586 B.C., Babylon took Judah away, and the whole country lay in darkness. And then there was a little revival 70 years later. Hezekiah and Nehemiah, and not Hezekiah, but Ezra, Nehemiah, and Haggai, and a few others. They rebuilt the temple, and they established the word, and they tried to do things right, and they started making up rules on how to do things right, and eventually they became the Pharisees of Jesus' day. But it was all dead. Dead religion. It was all dead because God wasn't really allowed in much of it. So we get to chapter 9. And, uh, yeah, it's a dark world. And here comes the hope prophecy of chapter 9. All of this darkness is going on. And, I, and Ahaz has been told that God is coming in the form of a baby. His name will be Emmanuel. And so now Isaiah is going to add a little more to it so we get a better idea of what is this child's name. He says, Though there's gloom, though there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, and in the former times he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, but in the latter time he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan of Galilee and the nations. There's an upper Galilee and a lower Galilee. One of them had Jews in it, the other had Gentiles in it. Isaiah didn't talk about that. He said Galilee, which includes the Gentiles. And it's always included the Gentiles. Verse 3, you have multiple nations, multiplied the nations. See, God planned on adding to Israel other sheep, that are not of this flock. He's always planned on it being including the Gentiles. For all people everywhere, the angel said. Great joy. Good tidings of great joy. There is born to you this day in Bethlehem, in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And they will rejoice with the joy of the harvest, as they were just so glad to have the stuff. There's something joyous coming. Next verse. The oak, the burden, the staff on the shoulder, the rod, it's all going to be broken as in the days of Midian. And five, all the war instruments, they're going to be a big fire. There will be no more war. No more war. And has that happened for Israel? Have they had any of these things recovered yet? Well, when Jesus came in Matthew 4, he, came to the, he left Galilee, went to Capernaum in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali to preach the gospel. The next five, three chapters, 5, 6, and 7, are known as the Sermon on the Mount. But it says right there in chapter 4, this might be done to fulfill what Isaiah said. And he quotes chapter 9. He quotes it. And so go on to the next verse, Mandy. Here it is. For unto us a child, a child is a noun, Hey, child, come here. That could be a name, right? For unto us a son is given. I have a son. Hey, son, come here. We do that sometimes, don't we? That could be a name. What's his name? And the government will be upon his shoulders. This guy's going to rule. This child is going to rule. He's going to be a ruler. We know from David's, it's an everlasting kingdom that he's going to get. Long time, God with us, chapter seven, and all those who are still out there killing babies need to pay attention. Pharaoh was doing that when he threw Moses in there, and they put his daughter pulled the little out of the river. What were they doing? Destroying babies. What was Herod doing? You know, what Rome said about Herod. Caesar said this: better to be one of Herod's pigs. We call him Herod the Great. Why? Because he built some stuff? Better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his children. Long before he went to Bethlehem and destroyed a bunch of children there, he was already destroying his own children, several of his own sons, and anybody else he thought might be a threat to the throne. For unto us a child, a son, for unto you this day is born a Savior. You like candles, Messiah? Yeah, I love it. It gives me goosebumps. The one I like the most is the one that deals with this passage. For unto us a child is given. Do, 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 do. You know that? That's great. I just get all hum. And here and you get to this part about and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And then the bass and the tenors and they the, the you know, the sopranos are all singing. And then they all stop and take a deep breath together and what do they say? And his name shall be called, what's the next word? What is it? Wonderful. wonderful. And they just hit it, man. And that is what the word is. That's the interpretation of the passage. Because it's a noun masculine singular. His name is wonderful. It's not an adjective. Counselor is a verb. Think. Is that his name, counselor? We do that all the time in the courtroom. Counselor, do you have any more witnesses? What I mean, hey, plumber, hey, preacher, we do that. Those aren't really nouns in the sense, but we're translating from ancient Hebrew to something, and this is what they came up with, counselor. It could be counseling for all I know, but it is a verb. The next one, mighty, the warrior strong guy. That one is an adjective, mighty. Mighty L, the mighty God everlasting, that is the, uh, the terminus. You know what a terminus is? That's where it ends. The buck stops here. There's nobody higher. I'm the guy. So if you were to go out searching for real things, important things, life-type things, truth, love, you name it, everything that the world you think you should need or have in this life to have a really good life, it ends with him. The everlasting. That's his name. It stops here. There's nothing beyond this point. So if you were to travel in a given direction and think you're going to outrun the galaxies by building like a tower in Babel or something, it's not going to work because you can't get there. It ends with him. And that's his name. The Father, if you look in Strong's Concordance under Hebrew, H1, The first word in the Hebrew dictionary is father, the progenitor guy, the one who starts the clan, the beginner, the origin. It's almost like saying, okay, so we've got father, Alpha, and we have everlasting, Omega, all in, that's his name. In other places, like in Revelation, that's what they call him: Alpha and Omega. Prince, the captain. The lead officer. And Shalom. Not the Prince of Peace, but Prince and Peace. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting, Father, Prince, Peace. Those are all part. That's his name. Emmanuel, God with us. What's the next one, Mandy? And the increase of his government. Why? If you had a name like that, I think you could pull it off. It will be peace, and there will be no end. Why? Because He is the end. There's nothing beyond Him. This throne of David is a forever throne. It's been established. It'll be upheld. It'll have justice and righteousness from this time on and for a short time. No, forever. It's all wrapped up in this child. So when Isaiah says to King Ahaz... The virgin shall have a child, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince, Peace. We've got quite a name to deal with here. Can he run the government? The zeal, the motivation of God is that no darkness will win. In him there is no darkness whatsoever. Jehovah, the ever living one, the Lord of hosts, the guy who has the armies of heaven ready to march in campaign against what? The darkness and its coming. It's all wrapped up in his name. He's going to do it. This is the second or third time he said so in this passage. He's going to do it. This child. Mary, did you know? You know him. What's the next one? Last verse. We'll quit. I could go on because it's fun. Before Isaiah was even born, King David said this, I will praise you with my whole heart before the gods. I will sing praises to you. It isn't that he believed in the gods, but everybody around him did. And David says, whatever. They're nothing to me. I will praise you. I'll sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple. He's basically looking up to heaven, to the real temple where God is, because Solomon built the earthly temple, and the tabernacle's pretty well blown in the wind by now. I will look to you in the temple, O God, and praise your name for your mercy, loving kindness, and for your truth, the word. For you have magnified your word above your name. And then I added that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Here's the thing. If you get this name down and understand the darkness that's going on, do you think that the Lord Jesus can get it done? Now He said this simply, if you trust me, I will in no ways cast you out. He said, My Father so loved the world that he sent me, that whosoever believes in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus gave his word, and he honors his word above his name. How powerful is his name? Can he keep his word? If he doesn't keep his word, everything we just talked about, this powerful stuff... In light of the darkness, the darkness wins. It's that simple. And that's why we had to go through the history of it all. Because it's a very simple message. Jesus said this, and he will keep his word at the risk of his own name. And his name is pretty powerful. How strong is our hope? I think our hope is secure. I think our hope is very secure. And Merry Christmas. We're not going to have another song, so let's all stand up and just uh, come on around here somehow and let's all hold hands a minute. We're going to pray before we go. Somehow make the loop. Come on, Queen, give it to me. (laughs) i don't know how we can circle up that far but just stay where you are and grab a hand (laughs) and let's just pray lord god almighty we come before you tonight we know that your name is to be exalted above all names there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved Under heaven is on the earth, and men are looking no farther than the earth for their answers. Let them see the name of Christ. May we be a live church where the name of Christ is announced here on earth. Lord, uh, we know that every knee shall bow and tongue confess that you are the Lord of glory. We know that you're coming again. We know that there's evil and darkness everywhere. And children are paying the price in many ways. Not much has changed. And on top of that, so much other darkness. And yet, there's still a bright hope in the birth of a child. We know that you went to the cross and paid for sin and everything that's wrong. We just ask that you'd help us to see it, believe it, and share it with those around us who know not where to look. We'd ask your blessing and for your help this Christmas season to share the love of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Merry Christmas.